0: God, we thank you. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your beautiful word. We thank you for uh, the way that our hearts can turn towards you, for the way that we can lean into the promises in your word. God, we just thank you just for revealing yourself to us through your word, through your creation that we've just witnessed a part of. God, thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for everything that you are and for the difference that you make in our lives. God, I pray that we we stay close to you, that our hearts are always leaning towards you, leaning towards your word, leaning towards your creation and that we are leaning towards your mission. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we gather in your name this morning, that we can bring our praise and worship to you in a different way but in a in a real and meaningful way this morning. God, we pray that that this is a sweet aroma to you as we bring that praise and worship to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to church this morning. Welcome if you're online as well joining us. Uh, Take a seat for a moment. That would be wonderful. Uh, you've uh, gathered the way that we're doing worship this morning. So we, um, for the rest of the time, we just invite you to sit or stand as uh, you feel comfortable and to, to join in with the singing uh, when the words are there for you to do that and just to enjoy and listen to the Psalms as they're read out to you this morning. Uh, while I'm talking to you, you can be filling out a card um, online. Um, you can be popping out your device's check in using the church centre app we'd love to know um, who's joining with us this morning and how you're joining so if you're online again say something in the chat say hi especially if you're on YouTube because we can't tell you're there so it'd be great if you could just say something there and check in. Um, Also while I'm talking to you uh, we will be passing the offering buckets round so this is something that we're bringing back. So we're bringing back the offering bucket. Um, so this will become a part of our regular services again uh, from from now onwards. So um, just, yeah, if you normally bring an offering that you put into the box at the back, you now don't have to do that or you can, but also the buckets will be coming around. So um, as we did last week, you can also be putting in those little slips from the back of the, the chairs. Are they, are they there still? Uh, don't know. If there's a No? All right. Ignore me. That's fine. Most people do. Uh, Yeah. So we had a funeral here on Friday, so everything kind of got reset. Uh, Sorry about that. Um, All right. So... Uh, a couple of things from your newsletter, hopefully you're getting the newsletter online, if you're not getting the newsletter by email then uh, it's because we don't have your details, so maybe let us know your email address and we can make sure that happens for you, uh, but just yeah, a couple of things to highlight from that, we have the men's breakfast on June the 4th, um, everything that you need to know about that was hopefully communicated in um, the newsletter, But uh, so 7am five dollars all age groups are welcome maybe grab a friend who wouldn't normally come to church but would happily come to a breakfast where a whole lot of guys are gathering so uh, make sure you do that and then there's um, a fun visit to the sale water tower afterwards so if you've never been inside there and had a tour um, sign up for that it's a it's a good deal for five dollars that's a lot I think Anyway, there's a sign-up sheet at the info desk, or you can register online using your Church Centre app. Also, something to highlight from the newsletter is uh, the Thy Kingdom Come um, Prayer Initiative, which is, uh, we're connecting with that again this year. This is a global prayer initiative, um, and it starts on Thursday, so it's between ascension and pentecost every year so we we do try and join in with that it's sort of 10 or 11 days depends how you count your days Um, but it's this season of prayer where we invite people to and be praying daily for five people that they know in their life to come to know Jesus. That's one of the things that you can be praying for. There's other things that you can be praying for. So again, there was a link in the newsletter uh, to find out more about Thy Kingdom Come. Uh, and we will be finishing off this season of prayer with a prayer, praise and worship night on Sunday night in two weeks' time. So the 5th of June, uh, we'll be meeting here for a time of praise and worship. Um, And it really feels like um, we need this season of prayer this year. It feels like to me that we are, as a church and as a community, that we are needing this season of prayer. I spoke about dry bones in my message a couple of weeks ago and, and said that if you feel like dry bones, that that you need to uh, really be connecting your heart with God's and this is a great way that we can be doing that um, this year. Um, there's prayer, there is a copy of a prayer journal out at the info desk as well. There's also a sheet of ideas for individuals. So if you want to connect with Thy Kingdom Come, there's some ideas of ways that you can do that. If you'd like a prayer journal, I've only printed one. Um, There's a sheet there that you can sign up if you'd like me to print you some and I will endeavour to get those out to people who want them this week but I didn't want to print a whole lot if people didn't want them. Um, You might find that helpful. Anyway, in that sense of really uh, leaning into uh, this season of prayer and Um, how we need to know (laughs) that God is there Uh, we we do know but sometimes we need to see it sometimes we need to to really connect and tap into that and I just like to read to you from second kings um, and second kings and it's in uh, chapter six so you can go and read the whole story if you want to but I'm just going to read from verse my eyes are not really good 15 I think Um, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out behold an army with horses and chariots was all around the city and the servant said alas my master what shall we do he said do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them then Elisha prayed and said "O Lord please open his eyes that he may see so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I think we need to know that sometimes. We need to we need to tap into what God has for us and his promises and the fact that he has his angel armies all around us and our faith is not in the angel armies that he gives to us. Our faith is in God because God is the one who brought the victory here. The angel armies were there and they were uh, to kind of give courage, I think. Um, And and when the young man saw um, who was surrounding them, he was full of courage again because he thought that they were in this battle alone. We are not in this battle alone. We have God on our side and he has his angel armies all around us if we can just open our eyes to see. So as we enter into this season of prayer, and um, as we enter into a season now of uh, praise and worship just in this next part of the service, I really encourage you to open your eyes, see what God has all around you, see see the help that he sends, see the promises that he has for us and know that we are not in this fight on our own. We are on mission for God and he doesn't leave us by ourselves. So... Um, Yeah, uh, Oh, we're supposed to mingle now. I don't know if I should pray or mingle. What do you want to do? Pray or mingle? Maybe we'll pray. We'll stand and pray and then we'll mingle. I am in charge of this situation. (laughs) God, we thank you. We thank you for the promises in your word, for uh, just how beautiful your word and how precious your word is to us. God, as we continue in our service this morning and as we um, just lean into your words some more, God, I thank you for your promises. I thank you that you promise to never leave us or forsake us. God, we thank you that you do surround us with your angel armies and that that as we we become aware of that, as we see that, as we feel that, uh, that we can step out boldly and courageously in the mission that you have us on. God, we know that you can do incredible, almighty things without us, but you choose to use us. So, God, I, I thank you that you equip us as well. God, thank you for being the God who loves us so very much in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord Jesus,
1: we thank you that you are a miracle-working God. God, when we see it and when we don't, when we know it and when we don't, God, you are always, always, always working. God, you are always speaking. You're always present. You're always true. You're always faithful. And God, this morning, we pray that we might know how rock solid you are. That we can build our life on you. That we can trust you in every circumstance, in every situation. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that you have for us. The truth that you have for us. And God, we pray that it might change us, encourage us, challenge us. Help us to hear your voice this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please grab a seat. Good morning. It's great to have you here with us. Good morning to those online. I know that there's a lot of people around um, with COVID at the moment, a lot of people isolating and uh, it seems to be um, going around through the community again. So for those that are tuning in online from their, um, their houses, um, great to have you here with us and we're praying that you're recovering and getting better if you're feeling sick. Well, Don't know if you tuned into the news last night or this morning, but I think we've got a new Prime Minister, um, by all accounts. Um, Albanese is in as the Prime Minister, and whatever you think of that, whoever you voted for, um, not a political message this morning, but um, just an encouragement as Christians, as people of faith, to pray for our leaders and to pray for our government. Um, There are always leaders and people um, with authority over us that we like and that we don't like, who do things that we agree with and who do things that we don't agree with. Um, but God just makes no distinction that we are to, to pray for them. Uh, we are to honour them and we are to obey them as best we can. And so I'd encourage you as, as Christians and myself as well that we uh, are praying for this government. Uh, we're praying for our nation, we're praying for, for, um, for Darren Chester and for um, and all the people that have been elected, re-elected, uh, new, new members um, to, to represent us well um, but also that God would use them um, to, to bring about kingdom values and kingdom ideas. So I thought before we even get into the word this morning that we should just take a moment just to pray for our government, um, for, for Albanese and for, um, for all that's been going on over the last um, 24 hours and for no doubt what's, what's ahead for us. So Lord God, we, we thank you that you are king over all creation. God, you know the beginning, you know the end, and you know everything in between. God, you have um, always been faithful to your people, regardless of who's in charge. Regardless of how good or bad they are, God, you are faithful and you are good. And so, God, we lift up our new Prime Minister and, and the new government. And God, we pray that you would both protect them and lead them. God, that your your heartbeat would be their heartbeat even if they don't realise it. And God, we pray for us and for, for Christians around Australia that we might be people who, who pray fervently for our government and honour them well. God, that we would be people that shine your goodness and your light, your grace, your mercy. Lord God, we thank you so much for for all that you're doing. And God, we pray that you would um, continue to stir our hearts to be the people of God you've called us to be. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think it's it's fitting, perhaps fitting from what Jackie has been talking about from a new government that we launched a new series this morning um, on Elijah. Now, Elijah is, if you're looking for the book of Elijah, there's no such book of Elijah. Elijah is a character in a book. Uh, and his story begins in about 1 Kings 17. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to find that and you want to read along, then um, by all means do. That'd be great. But over the next um, six, seven weeks, we're going to be looking at Elijah, uh, the events of his life, who he was, um, how God used him, um, what he he did, and what we can learn from him. Um, And Elijah finds himself in the book of 1 Kings, which is a story of... Kings, believe it or not, um, who come and go. Some good, some bad, mostly bad. um, And how God uses his people to bring about um, change and and do certain things. So, um, fitting maybe for us that Elijah was not a king, um, but he was under a king. And at the time, the king was very bad. Um, And we're going to see what he did, what his response was, and maybe gain some insight for us. So, I'm going to read the first... Um, What are we going to read? The first six verses of 1 Kings, and we'll eventually get to it. So, we're going to talk about a whole lot of stuff first. So, 1 Kings 17, 1-6 says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, As the Lord of God Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Him being Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Wadi Cherith, where it enters the the Jordan. A Wadi is like a a brook or a a bit of water. You want to drink from the Wadi. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he proceeded to do what the Lord commanded. Elijah left and lived at the Wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, and he would drink from the Wadi. Actually, I'm going to read verse... Seven as well. I don't think I've got seven there, but um, if you can put it up, that'd be great. After a while, the wadi dried up because there had been no rain in the land. We'll get to that verse. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We're going to pray again three times before we even start. That's a good sign, isn't it? Um, We thank you again for your word. And God, we pray that you would use it. Uh, God, that you would speak through me clearly. But God, you would give us listening ears to your spirit this morning. Uh, We'd be able to discern what your voice is, what your challenge is, what your encouragement is, and God, we'd be able to obey it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've got a phone on you. Who's got a smartphone on them? Who's got a phone on them? Anyone got a phone on them? Yeah. Anyone not have a phone on them? A few people? Okay. Great. I respect that. Anyone got an Apple Watch or a smartwatch? Sorry, I'm an Apple person. Anyone got a watch on them yet? Anyone got a computer? Some tech at home? Got your computer on you? Anyone? Lugged it in? No. Um, you know, I remember getting uh, our Apple Watch. This this is like the first or second generation. It's just hanging on. Sometimes it tells me the time. Um, I, think, I don't know if that's a good thing, or have we advanced or gone back? You know. Anyway, um, when I got it, I was like, oh, I don't know... Like, I th- I, I'm, I'm looking forward to having it because I think it'll be good to be able to just, like, screen messages and phone calls and not have to pull my phone out, especially if I'm in front of someone just like, do I need to get that? No. And most of the time it's no. Um, but sorry if you call me. If I'm talking to someone, I'll never answer. Um, <clears throat> unless you call me, like, ten times in a row. It's like, this must be an emergency. Um, but I remember getting it. And I was, I was, I'd lived without a, a smartwatch for so long. I was like, oh, do I need it? But now I've had it for so long, I'm like, how would I go without it? And maybe a phone is even more so like that. I remember getting my first phone when I was 16 years old, a Nokia 3350. Uh, It wasn't the 3315, which everybody had. I went like, I had a, if you were here last week, I talked about my first job at Super Jeep Auto. I gave my first 10% to the church and the other 90% went to this phone, Um, (laughs) the Nokia 3350. Um, At 16 years old, I went straight on a plan. Anyway. I don't know if it was the wisest move, but I did it, and ever since that age, I can't imagine life without a mobile phone. Um, I mean, I know I did it, and I know we all did it, but um, living without a mobile, or um, has anyone, I'm afraid to ask this, is anyone old enough to not ever, ever, ever have a phone of any type? You know, you're just relying on, how old is, yeah, I'm not sure how old, when the phone was first invented, but. But now it's like, how could you live without a phone? How could you live without a, a a way of communicating like that, and just rely on letters going in a mailbox and then getting, and then it's like, do you want to catch up for a coffee? I'll post a letter, I suppose. Catch up for a coffee, or did they have coffee when they, before they had phones? Which came first? Anyway, write um. <laughs> back. Yes. What day? Okay. Three weeks later. Let's. Oh, I missed it because the mail was late that day. And start again. I know, I'm not sure how exactly how it worked, but um, I'm not that quite that old. Uh, we always had a landline when I was a kid, um, but I suppose we could live without a phone. I suppose we could, and we obviously have gone millennia without having all these tech devices and connection uh, ways of connecting, and, and we survived. I mean, we're here today. If if we uh, weren't here today, then I suppose we could preach that. Yeah, we couldn't preach. You know what I'm saying. I suppose we could, but we we probably um, won't live without... We're not about to chuck away our phones and our devices just because we've managed to do it in the past. They've somehow added to our life. I wonder when it comes to our walk with God. You know, we can really live quite comfortably in Australia without really depending on God. It's very easy to live without fully surrender or or relying on the supernatural um, way of God in our life. And we can get by just fine. We can be Christians, we can come to church, we can do all the things, participate in all the ministries, go to a small group, come and sing our songs. And so many Christians do. I do it all the time. It's so easy to do. Because I can sort most things out, or at least I can try have some control elijah was a man who lived in a way that was so dependent on god god had to come through there was no other option for him if you can live without supernatural intervention you will and if you live in a way that only god can move he will When we look at the life of elijah when we look at the man he was the faith he has there is a reason that his story was recorded in scripture because he was one of these guys who had incredible faith who had incredible dependence and surrender to god and we can look at his life and go no way i can't live like that no way i'm going up to albanese and tell him that i'm going to pray for the rain to stop and it will But Elijah was a man who heard from God, who prayed, and had incredible faith. If you know your Bible, you know um, maybe where Elijah sits in the Old Testament story. But I want to give you a a quick history lesson, just so we understand the, the situation in which we find Elijah. Because I think it helps us understand the sort of man he was and the sort of faith he had. So you might know a guy called King David. King David, king over Israel, brought the sort of the tribes of Israel together and unified them into a kingdom and did a fantastic job despite messing up a whole lot of times in a whole lot of different ways. Um, But nevertheless, God had um, used David to bring this kingdom of Israel together, these 12 tribes. And in um, 1 and 2 Samuel, you can read sort of that story of, um, of thereabouts. And many in 1 and 2 Kings, it's, it's the story of post-David. It's the story of sort of how David passes on to Solomon. Solomon is King David's son. Um, here's, the, here's the kingdom, son. You're the king now. Um, and through Solomon and then subsequent kings, how the demise, the decay of the, the nation, and, and how it just erodes over time. Um, through one and two kings we see that the 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 once united 12 tribes of israel become split and then it's through this time that you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and you might have heard about that or uh, remember something in the something about these the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom it's sort of in this era that we begin to see in one and two kings that there's 10 tribes at the north and their eventual sort of capital or their place of worship becomes samaria and then the bottom two tribes, um, you've got Jerusalem as their capital, and that's the southern kingdom. And you've got through one and two kings, probably around roughly 20 kings in each north and south. And each one is graded on whether they did right in the sight, in the sight of God or whether they did evil in the sight of God. And, and the northern kingdom, zero from 20, they all did evil. I think the southern kingdom is something around eight were good. Twelve did evil. And so it was a, a real time of decay in the, in, the, in the kingdoms. And there's a guy named Jeroboam. He becomes the king in the north. And Rehoboam in the south, that's the, the two kings straight after Solomon. So Solomon's sort of like, his legacy is division. It's like he sort of started off good. You can read the first um, chapter or so of, of One Kings. And Solomon's like... He gets a good charge from David, although David sort of says, You've got to um, obey the covenant and do all these. You've got to stay faithful, but kill our enemies. You know, sort of leaves on a bit of a sour note. Um, King David has a a tendency to maybe not always do the right thing, Um, even though he just has a heart for God. He's not always getting it right. And so Jeroboam in the north just takes advantage of people, increases taxes introduced slave labor, um, idol worship, you name it, if there's something bad you could do, he, he thought of it and did it, and Rehoboam in the south, Solomon's son, um, likewise, sort of um, began to do the same. Um, and through the book of 1 and 2 Kings, 20 are described as no good, and this is 1 Kings 1630 is you hear this phrase a lot through kings, but Ahab, the son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, more than all were before him. And so it's sort of like, every king was like, I'm going to out you, outdo you in evilness. Um, and that's sort of um, the how the story goes. The southern kingdom, um, which was called Judah, so the northern kingdom was called Israel, the southern kingdom was called Judah, starts with Rehoboam, Solomon's son, as king, and consists of just two of the 12 tribes the kings are generally measured against in one and two kings Um, their worship of god alone so the the writer of of kings talks about uh, did they worship god alone how did they deal with idolatry in the land and were they faithful to the covenant which god passed down to moses King Ahab is on the scene at the time of 1 Kings 17. This is where Elijah enters. And Elijah sort of suddenly appears. There's no sort of build-up to the story. It's sort of like Elijah goes to King Ahab. This is his introduction. Ahab is married to someone you may be familiar with, Jezebel. And this is what it says about Ahab's reign as king in the previous chapter of 1 Kings 16 says, then as if following the sin of Jeroboam, remember, he's the first king in the north of Nabat, were not enough, he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of Sidians, Sidonians, Sidonians, Sidonians? Sidonians? Sidonians <clears throat> and then proceeded to serve Baal, and bow in worship to him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherapol, Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. That is not something you want on your resume. During his reign, Hile the Beth- Bethelite built Jericho. Now, I'm going to pause there because, if you, again, if you know your Bible, you know that that is a significant little statement there, that he sort of um, built Jericho. Because Jericho, remember, fell. The walls of Jericho fell and Joshua came and did his thing and the trumpets won and all that. And after that moment, there was a curse. It was like anyone who tries to rebuild Jericho is going to be cursed. It's not going to be good. And so this is like a significant, like, not good move by this Heil guy. Sounds like a German name, doesn't it? During his reign, Heil built Jericho at the cost of... Abraham, his firstborn, this was part of the curse, is that your firstborn, your children would begin dying. He laid its foundation, and the cost of Segub, his youngest, he finished its gates. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through Joshua, son of Nun. So the whole region is in decay. It's all gone downhill since King David. And people are worshipping idols, and we see this time and again through the Old Testament. And even up until today, there is times of spiritual renewal, where God is at work, revolves at hand, and awakening, and then there are times of decay, demise. And I'll let you work out what we are in at the moment as a nation. Baal is a word that means lord or master or owner, and he was the chief god worshipped by the Canaanites at the time of Israel's entrance into the Promised Land. Baal was the most popular of these worshipped idols at the time because he was the God or considered the God of fertility in all aspects of life, human, animal and vegetable. Production and prosperity were dependent on Baal. He had the power over rain, wind, clouds and therefore fertility. And so as you begin to see, this is pretty significant given the coming coming drought and famine that um, Elijah has just told Ahab is about to to come. What can we learn here? I think uh, a real significant truth is that idols never deliver on what they promise. Idols never deliver on what they promise. There are many idols set up in our world today. Many ideas and they promise to bring you satisfaction, fulfilment, happiness all these things that only joy can. We looked at money last week being a this ultimate promise of like security significance and ultimately it never delivers on that promise idolatry never delivers on the promise Baal worshipped included burnt sacrifices and incense at times human sacrifices and child sacrifices perverted sexual activity and so God sends prophets in through the Old Testament, to counter these measures, to counter these, these measures of, of what we talked about, that where kings were measured against their worship, their, how they worshipped God, how they dealt with idolatry, um, and how they were faithful to the covenant. Prophets have sort of come in to counter that, or help the king understand whether they're doing good or bad, or, or what they need to they're not sent as fortune tellers sometimes we think of a prophet as like they just predict the future or tell you what's going to happen in the future but they were really used as God's voice to his people and to the kings to call out idolatry call out injustice to make sure that the people were keeping the covenant there was challenges to repent and to follow the law and so that's sort of where we find ourselves and then Elijah enters the scene it says in 1 Kings 17 verse 1, now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers. There's not much of Elijah's heritage or background. He, it, he wasn't as it appears from any remarkable lineage for the writer to say, Elijah son of so-and-so or anything like that. It was just, he's a Tishbite from Gilead. He wasn't part of the who's who of Israel. Nothing is mentioned of his training, nothing's mentioned of his parents, of his descent. It seems as though he was just a nobody who became a prophet and was used in incredible ways by God. Again, what an encouragement for us. You know, you might think, well, I don't have um, incredible lineage, or maybe I do. I don't have incredible training or background in my life. Maybe I do, but God will, can and will use you regardless of how good your background is. Or what your lineage is holds. You might not think of much of yourself or your lineage or your parents, your parents may have failed you in one or more ways, you might not have been born at the right place or in the right time but God is in the business of using nobodies, the people who maybe you wouldn't expect like Elijah the Tishbite. In our world today people care who people are What's your background? What's your training? What have you got to offer? Why should I trust you? Why have you what what good are you? But God is not so interested in people like in that same way. He's interested in people, but he's not interested in where they've come from or, or what their what their past is. John the Baptist, some would say is Elijah's New Testament counterpart, was asked, Who are you at the beginning of his ministry? And his response was, I'm a voice in the wilderness. You can read that in John 1. I love John the Baptist's response there. I'm not much, I'm a voice. I'm a voice for somebody else. Who my message comes from, that's worth listening to. Me, myself, nah, not so much. Elijah was a voice too. Not his own voice, but God's voice. We all have our own opinions, and thoughts on so many different things. And maybe at election time it's even more evident of how many opinions and thoughts people have about so many different things. But none of our opinions really matter or will even last. Only God's message and his opinions will last forever. Elijah, his name, means my God is Yahweh. Elijah appeared in a time where Baal was the God being worshipped, where Baal was promising rain and everything that people needed and Elijah, whose God was Yahweh, not Baal, arrives and he can provide rain and he can stop it. He made the rain, he made the clouds. Elijah's faith was in Yahweh, in God, not in the ideals or the idols of the day. What's your faith in today? what's my faith in today is it in the things around us that we see in the ideals or the idols of the world that they promise us or is it in God himself Elijah had incredible faith relying on the supernatural God like I said before if you can live without supernatural intervention you will and if you live in a way that only God can move he will So Elijah was a man with incredible faith, but he was also a man with a message. Through his story, his words weren't abundant. You don't get pages and pages of Elijah's words written. But he was a man of abundant faith, abundant action, and abundant prayer. I don't know about you, but I would rather be known as a person of abundant faith, action, and prayer than of abundant words. You know, there's lots of people that have abundant words. And you're probably thinking, Brad, I wish you were a man of abund- those three things and you would quit speaking too. Sorry, I've still got the mic. But... Elijah was not a man of many words, but much faith, much action, much prayer. We can learn something great here. Let's make sure our faith outweighs our words. Let's make sure our prayers outweigh our opinions. Let's make sure our action outweighs our judgments. Proverbs 10 verse 19 says, When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is prudent. Isn't that a truth worth dwelling on for a minute? Where there are many words, sin is unavoidable. Elijah was a man of not heaps of words, but his words were what God was wanting him to say. So Elijah goes to the king, King Ahab, and says... We're at verse 1 now. We've got seven verses to get through. We're at verse 1. The rest will go fast, don't worry. Um, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Gilead settler said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. What does Ahab say to that? What's recorded? Absolutely nothing. It's not recorded. It's not that Ahab didn't respond to that. I'm sure Ahab probably had some choice words to say to this man Elijah that just from Tishbite who just rocked up and looked a bit scruffy. If you, you could read about Elijah's appearance as well, um, it's rec- it's not recorded. It's, there's a, there's silence. It it doesn't matter. It seems it's like the writer is saying, "What Elijah has spoken, we need to hear that." What's said after that doesn't matter. And what I glean from this is that God's word is true regardless of how people respond, react or reply. When we do speak, let's make sure it's God's truth, his words, we are his voice. Elijah's message was centred around his confidence in who God was, the God of Israel lives in whose presence I stand, is what he says. His confidence was in who God was, where God was, and what he would do. Elijah was a man who knew who he was because he knew who God was. And Elijah was also a man with a message. He was in God's place and in God's time to deliver the message that God had for him to deliver. And perhaps if there's one thing I want you to consider or or think about this morning, it's this. Do you know who you are and do you know what your message is? Do you know who you are and do you know what your message is? In your time on earth, do you know who God has called you to be? In your time on earth, do you know what God's message for you to bring to people is? That's a challenge. I think that's a challenge for all of us. And you might think, oh, I don't know, Brad. You left him in a dark hole there. I want to show you something here with the rest of the verses of how Elijah got to this point. 1 Kings 17, 2 to 4, says this. After So Elijah goes to Ahab, says his piece, his little sentence, and then heads off. And it says, the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward. And hide at the Wadi Cherith where it enters the Jordan. You were to drink from the Wadi. I've commanded the ravens to provide for you there. I think Elijah knew who he was. He knew what his message was because he was able to hear from God. It was like this common, it just is recorded in such a way that this is just like common practice for Elijah. The word of the Lord came to him. He went. It says he went to hide at the Wadi. It's like this idea of this secret place or this. sort of a lone place. You know, we can only know what our message is and who we are when we hear from God. And we can only hear from God when we take time aside to listen to Him. Elijah went to hide, to a secret place, to withdraw, to be nourished by God. It reminds me of something in the New Testament that Jesus did often. He often withdrew to pray, to spend time with His Father. James 5 talks about Elijah as well. And it says um, in James 5, 16, the second half of 16 and 17, it says, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being just, sorry, Elijah was a human being as we are and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. In the context of prayer, James points to Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man of prayer. That was not just that was not the only prayer that Elijah prayed. It was a pattern in Elijah's life. Elijah's prayer life was developed in secret places. It was his ultimate source, it seems. And we know Elijah may be best for, for some stories that are coming up that we'll look at. Maybe uh, Mount Carmel is the, the one that you maybe remember where you've got the, the prophets of Baal and their heathen and Hohen and dancing and singing and spitting and jeering and trying to make their wood catch a light and Elijah comes and pours water on it and whoosh, sees a miracle. And maybe we know that story. But it didn't start there for Elijah. It's not like Elijah rocks up and goes, Huh, I'm going to try this prayer thing. Dear God, please make this wood burn. Whoosh, amen. It didn't start there for Elijah and sometimes we can look at a story like that or a miracle like that and think, oh, I don't have faith like that. It doesn't start like that. It starts in the secret place. It starts with a consistent, reliable uh, prayer life, constantly um, putting one foot in front of the other, faithful direction. The miracles and moments in Elijah's life that are celebrated and recorded are founded on prayer and God's voice. The foundation of Elijah's ministry was prayer and the word, you might say. The word being God's voice. What is our foundation? What underpins our life, our motives, our values? If it's anything but God's word and prayer, it's sure to crumble and fail. The worship of Baal was shaky ground. Very shaky ground. But Yahweh, God, was a sure thing. Verses 5 to 7 of 1 Kings 17, then we'll, we'll close. So he proceeded to do what the law commanded, Elijah being that man. Elijah left and, weth, and lived at the Wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. Here, ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, Uber Eats, and he would drink from the Wadi. After a while, the Wadi drived up because there had been no rain in the land. So this was Elijah's practice. He went to the secret place, he heard from God. And then when he heard from God, he did what he heard God say to do. I mean, if that's... uh, This is 101 stuff I realise, but sometimes we think, I've got to pray and hear God's voice. And then we do, when we hear God's voice, and then we just go, well, that was nice, I'm not doing that. Elijah was a man of great faith and great prayer, because he heard God's voice and then he did what God was asking him to do. Hearing from God was followed by obedience. Elijah was someone who followed God's instruction because he knew it. We only know what to do when we hear what to do. So Elijah is living by faith, incredible faith. But remember, Elijah has just prayed for the rain to stop. Verse 1. And so the the, the, the wadi or the brook that has been drying up, he's been gone to this place and being fed and nourished and he can see that... It's not raining, this water is depleting. But it seems that Elijah isn't fazed by the brook drying up. He knows that it's bound to happen. Elijah, his confidence is not in the brook. It's not in the ravens bringing him food. It's in God. Sometimes we can have provision from God. Things can be going well, and then suddenly those things are stripped from us. Or maybe not so suddenly, maybe over time they just suddenly fade away. And for some of us, myself included, that can just not go well with you. Not go well with your faith and your, your journey with Jesus. Think, God, why why this? Why now? You know, we've got to make sure our faith is not in the provision that God gives us, the things that God does for us, but in God himself. For Elijah, the provision continues, but it doesn't continue in the way it started. And next week, we'll look at some of these ways in which the provision of God works in Elijah's life, the rest of 1 Kings 17. But Elijah wasn't to know that at the time that the brook was drying up. He was just putting one foot in front of another, living day by day, Living it like what Matthew six, where Jesus talks about, don't worry about tomorrow. Look at the birds of the air and the, the flowers of the field. They don't think about tomorrow, they just They trust God today. God provides for tomorrow. If you can live without supernatural intervention, you will. If you live in a, in a way only God can move, you will. So this is a massive challenge. How can you rely on God this week? What's something that you could do that would be trusting God and not yourself? What's a way you can put your faith into action? And I'd encourage you as you think about that, not just to drum up something yourself. Think, I'm going to do this, because that, be, that would take faith. Hear from God first. Pray and ask, God, what would you want me to do? Because, I mean, we could all think of things like, well, I'm going to step off a building. That would take faith. But is God asking me to do that? Probably not. What is God asking me to do? Oh, geez, maybe talk to my neighbour. Maybe pray for that person or, or give something away. Surrender some time that I haven't surrendered before. Get up a bit earlier and pray. What's going to take faith? What's God asking you to do? How can you take a step of obedience like Elijah let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the example of Elijah. God, we thank you that he had such incredible faith and God, you used him. But God, his pattern was simple and reproducible. And God, I pray that we might be able to follow in his footsteps by taking time apart with you, hearing from you, and then doing what you ask us to do. God, help us to be people of prayer and your word. Help us to do what you've called us to do. Live how you've called us to live. Help us to trust in you. And God, even as we sit here right now, God, I pray that you might be speaking to our hearts of what's the step of faith that you want us to do this week. How would you want us to rely on you more this week? Lord God, we thank you. We pray that you would continue to speak to us this week as we take time aside to hear from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you uh, if you joined us online uh, as well. If you're in the building, I encourage you to stick around, grab some tea or coffee, meet someone new, meet someone old, and have a great day. See you next Sunday.